0: Open up your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We see in verse 5, Thomas speaking to his Lord and Savior. We know not, he says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus responds to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to look this morning at the subject of without Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we consider this title and we consider this subject matter, prepare our hearts for the grim outlook of life without your Son, our Savior. Help us, Father, to be an encouragement to one another and to rejoice in the fact that we don't know that existence. For those who are here and born again do indeed have Jesus Christ. We do have salvation. But help us to be tender tender in our approaching of this subject for there are those among us who don't there are those amongst our walk in life as we depart from this place who do not have him and we need to understand what that life looks like so that we might be better witnesses that maybe we might be softer in our deliverance of the gospel and more mindful of that hope that we talked about last sunday that we are charged to share with that gospel we ask father that first and foremost you'd be heard you'd receive all the honor and glory And Lord, that you might see fit to use such a vessel as I. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This was our Lord's response to Thomas. Uh, I've I've said it before. I defend Thomas a lot. So many call him doubting Thomas. But Didymus doesn't mean necessarily doubter. It means twin. And Thomas really represents a lot of the same doubts I think we would have had too. In the examples that we would give of him being a doubter, we also would likely need to see the wounds of this man that we had walked with, that we had followed for so long. And even here, he's not necessarily doubting because we find profit in the answer Christ gives. That question had to be asked so that we would have that answer. How can we know the way, he says? It's a simple question whose subject personified becomes the answer itself. The way is not a path. It's not some map some journey dotted out with colors that tells us where the beginning is and an X marking the ending of it, but the way is a person. When we hear the question on its own, we can perceive it to mean, what is the route? What is the path? It's not so hard for us to imagine then how some folks get to, what is the work? What must be done? What must be accomplished that I might have this eternal security? We saw a lawyer, a certain lawyer, last Sunday afternoon doing just that. But if Jesus is the way, then it becomes a question of how can we know him rather than how can we know it? And as we consider, if you'll turn over to John 3, and consider again that night of questioning as Nicodemus approaches the Lord Jesus Christ, let us start in verse 1. It says in verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We already know that he's a man amongst those who will tempt and attempt to persuade some of the followers of Christ, but most definitely those who tempt and put on trial Christ Jesus himself. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second enter in can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. That's the third time he says that in this chapter, by the way. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, See, Nicodemus is asking a very similar question to what we read Thomas asking in John 14. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Instead of reading that as a question, understand it is a statement to us, the reader. Even the masters of Israel did not inherently just know this. It had to be shown unto them. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, verse 11, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life." But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, and that they are wrought in God. Consider the lawyer that came to the Lord Jesus with a question very similar, one we, we talked about last week, and I just want to reread it uh, quickly for you, just as review. Certain lawyers stood up, and this is from Luke 10, verses 25 to 28. Certain lawyers stood up, uh, tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit life, or inherit an eternal life, rather? And Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. We might be tempted here to say, Now wait a minute. The Lord Jesus grants this man permission to do works to inherit eternal life. But can we in our depraved state before salvation truly love the Lord God with all thy heart? Jesus says you are correct, go and do that. Go and do that, and you will have everlasting life. But this man wasn't listening to what came before. What came before in those teachings was that Jesus Christ is essential. So Jesus is telling the truth. If you can indeed love the Lord God with all thy heart, you can have eternal life. But, beloved, we can't do that. In our depraved state, we cannot it's impossible, for we were his enemies and his persecutors at the time in which he went to the cross. We were those shouting, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" as he was led to our cross. Consider, consider Romans 5 verses 6 to 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Can the ungodly love God with all their hearts? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. You see that mention of joy again? Uh oh. Joy, beloved. So we can't love God with all our hearts because we were, I mean, just in these five verses, we were, sin- we were sinners, we were enemies, we were persecutors, we were sinners again. We needed to be reconciled. We needed to be reconciled. We needed to be reconciled. Oh, by the way, last Sunday we talked about being reconciled unto God. And we have received through our Lord Jesus Christ what? Atonement. We had to. We were never going to love him with all our heart if we didn't. So if we did not love him then at all, because we were enemies and sinners, how could we claim to have done so with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind? This certain lawyer had no hope of doing this without Jesus Christ. What part of, uh, uh, of what, what is the latter part of the main verse that we're looking at in John fourteen six, Or not John fourteen six? sorry. In that part where the lawyer was talking the last final statement says and thy neighbor as thyself love thy neighbor as thyself many that tempted the Lord such as this one, were known to be exceedingly self-righteous so let's consider Saul or Paul for our answer to this part Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 we have a, a beautiful introduction to Saul he was in previous chapters but we really get to know his heart here as just a a real upstanding man in the first verse of Acts 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of our Lord, yeah, that's who Saul was. He's not loving God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. He went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, and that was their slang for Christianity, this way, whether they were men or women, He might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul is actively persecuting Christ Jesus. He's called out from a heavenly light, and the voice is Jesus himself. And Saul says, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The reality here is that Saul was not compelling the followers of this way, of Jesus, of Christianity, to renounce him out of love that Saul had for them. And we can even see from this text that it was revealed to him that instead of love for the Lord God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, Saul was called by Jesus himself his persecutor. How differently would Acts 9 read without Jesus? That's our subject. Without Jesus, Saul gets authority from Damascus. He gets letters to go do that which he went to do, and he does it. There's no stopping him. We see in later chapters of Acts a fear amongst Christians of the persecution Saul was known for. You know what Saul would have done? He would have kept on doing that which he was doing because he'd never been redirected never been redirected there's three points to this message without the lord jesus there is no way there is no truth and there is no life this is not a fun message if you're here and lost understand this is what you know it's impossible for you to know any more than this now i'm not saying head knowledge i'm saying this is your fate without jesus what we're about to talk about is your fate you are here and born again, but you just choose not to give the gospel to folks. You are damning them. You are hiding from them that which they need the most, as we talked about last Sunday. You're hiding from them Christ Jesus. You are destining, destining, fading. You're keeping them in a life with no gospel. First, there is no way. Without the Lord Jesus, there is no way. As illustrated you know, in the opening, there is no secondary route. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance, no other option, no other way in which uh, if we we're to point two points out on this map, there's essentially two ways to get there. A direct way, if it's east or west of one another, and the very indirect way around the planet. That's not what we have with the kingdom of heaven. There's only one way to the kingdom of heaven, and that's Christ Jesus. It's very linear. There's no circular explanation to provide. There's one way, Christ Jesus. But without Christ Jesus, there's no way. There's no alternate route. Genesis 3 lops off with the sentencing, and everything after that is the damnation of man in this life and then eternal damnation of man in the next. How much different would our Genesis study be if that were the case? In the beginning of Genesis 4... The Lord sees fit to give Eve a man. That man kills the other man. But without the Lord Jesus, without hope, without salvation, without intervention of God, it could have been Abel that killed Cain. And as the lineage goes on and on and on, remember Lamech's beautiful poem about his threatenings and how great he was? Well, he wouldn't have been the first poet anymore. There would have been a lot of men writing like that because that's all mankind would have ever known. It's hard to relate to. 7,000 years ago. So let's jump into 2023. How much different would 2023 look like if there is no good neighbor? If there is no neighbor of compassion who will stop for the one hurting on the side of the road, but instead as one lies hurting on the side of the road, everybody wears out the other side of the road. Everybody passes along until they themselves become injured, hurting, and die on the side of the road as well. Boy, all we would do is just weave from one side of the road to the other, would we not? There's no stopping. There's no caring. There's no loving. There's no praying. There's certainly not forgiveness. There's barely any now. But a life without Jesus Christ, we wouldn't even know what the word forgiving means. We'd have no reason to use it. There'd be no joy. The restraining hand of God is upon this world. As bad as we think it is right now, it's being restrained. But without that restraining hand, it is a life of damnation until we die and have eternal damnation. And it's all we'll ever know. It's not a root. You simply simply cannot just be like Jesus to get into the kingdom. Without Jesus, there's no model anyway. But even in this world with Jesus, you can't just be like him. You can't wear your WWJD bracelets and honor it to the nth degree and make your way into the kingdom. Ye must be born again. This is absolute. This is the instruction of God himself. And he says it to Nicodemus, he illustrates it for Thomas, and he shows it to Paul in the three examples we've given so far. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. As we look at our second point, there is no truth. Ephesians chapter 4, and we will read this entire thing. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul writing, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. What you're going to start doing, if you're paying attention, is you're going to start looking at every one of these verses and say, well, what if there's no Jesus? And so far, since I wrote this sermon a month ago, I've not found a single verse where we don't see Jesus. Because once you start looking to omit him, just for this exercise of understanding how dark the world would be without him, you see him in every verse. There's a calling in verse 1. Who called? There are There's fruits listed in verse 2. We wouldn't know anything about without Jesus. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There'd be no peace without the Lord Jesus. And endeavoring is an action word. We wouldn't know how to do it. There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That verse would change completely. There would just be one God above all. Would there not? Verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And then there's a parenthetical in the next two verses. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, "...and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ." till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But without Jesus, there's, there's no more henceforth, be no more, we just remain as children, tossed to and fro, carrying about with every craftiness every wind of doctrine, without every cutting sleight of hand. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, you wouldn't be doing that anymore. We may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which ever every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Verse 16, what is that soft tissue that joins the joints, that enables them to move together? It's the love we know of Christ Jesus. We wouldn't have that anymore. Every man would stand for himself. Every man would follow his own will. And we would like to probably think that in a world of all these movies that we've had of post-apocalyptic existences, that there'd be alliances. You couldn't trust anyone without Jesus. Every man would stand for himself, and every man's imaginations are only evil continually. There's no governor on it. There's no limitation switch. There's no capacity. We would just be evil and evil and evil, and maybe in action and moment we might find alliances, but we'd stab them in the back, or they'd stab us in the back before the sun went down. Verse 17... This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ." Without Christ, we could remove verse 20 because we would have never learned it. But with Christ Jesus, listen to this, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, this truth that he says he is, this truth that sets us free, that we wouldn't have without Jesus. This truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. We now have no more excuses to put off this old man, because we live in a world with Christ Jesus. And be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, go read Romans 12. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Without Christ Jesus, there is no new man. Rejoice, beloved. We can put on the new man. Because we have a Christ Jesus in our existence. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Again the direct opposite of all of this without Christ. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil, let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the things which is good, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Without Jesus, we would just embrace everything we just listed from verse 31. And verse 32 be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Look up there to verses 14 and 15 with me if you would. Paul writes that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him all in all things which is the head, even Christ. The truth sets the born again free from the wild winds of heresy, doubt, and fear. Praise God. Every man is right in his own eyes. Every man. That's me. That's you. And everyone outside those doors. Every man is right in his own eyes. And there's only one Christ Jesus. There's only one truth for which we are admonished to put on. All we could speak of would be from our own flesh if there was no Jesus. The former conversation that's mentioned here would be the only conversation, the only behavior available unto us which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Oh, beloved friends, what lies ahead without Jesus is only heartache. It's only unsure ground. There's no more cornerstone for which we could be measured to one true corner. Our foundation would be unlevel. Our foundation would be uneven. Imagine the crooked walls the cracks and giant openings in our very homes, represented by the missing of one precious truth. Not too hard to imagine, is it? Because we have loss in our families, in our communities, and they have giant gaping holes and cracks in their walls and foundation because it was built on sand. It was built on unsure ground. This world isn't without Christ Jesus. It has you. This world is not only eternal darkness. It has the born-again believers who were commissioned to go out unto all nations, discipling and teaching that which Christ Jesus once taught. And this world is not without hope because he gave a promise in the commission to be with us always till the end of the earth. Amen. This world would only know pain and sorrow without Jesus, without truth. If you're here and lost, you have no hope. You are at the edge of a deep pit that has no bottom, no sureness. Consider Jesus today and be ye reconciled unto him. Luke 10, 11, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. The truth of God's own perfect sacrifice for the sins of the elect is presented here in the scriptures. You have no other means of eternal life. You have nothing else more important to consider this day. Will you not repent? Will you not come to the foot of the cross? Will you not exercise your minds, you who are born again, to ensure that Christ Jesus truly is preeminent in your heart? Thirdly, there is no life. There is no life, and I could probably make this point really short and just say you were, you really wouldn't want there to be life if we lived in a world with no Jesus. You wouldn't want it. Read Revelation. There are those begging for death after the rapture, begging for death, for release, for an end. Do we not see it in Lazarus' words or, or in the rich man's words in the story of the rich man and Lazarus? That it would just be ended, or that there would be even a momentary break. We wouldn't want life in a world with no Jesus. Our text says it best no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no path, there's no escape, there's no conditional route, there's no, oh, but wait, there's no, there's more, there's nothing. Where then does that leave a man or a woman that does not have Jesus? To answer this question, we must distinguish between the first and second death for just a moment. The flesh will all know the first death, for all who have not been translated, and thus far that number is two. Since the second, every man has known death. The second death is only for those unredeemed by the Savior's blood. After the first death, there is either everlasting life, or everlasting death. It's not as simple as just eternal darkness and finality. And I think that's why the Lord doesn't really allow our brains to conceptualize what that would be like. Have you ever tried to imagine death as just the end? By its very process, the brain cannot conceive not processing. It just spins out of control. As we try to imagine, will it just be our eyes closed and just darkness? Well, for 10 days... Nate's eyes were closed, and he couldn't see anything, but he was aware of everything happening around him. His brain wouldn't shut off. It confounded the doctors that his brain somehow overrode some of that medication and allowed for him to be aware of who was in the room. And we all have stories like that. But think of death for a moment as just being nothing. Without Jesus, without understanding all of uh, what, what is happening in this spiritual warfare, we've got no reason to think there's anything but just darkness. Because we watch a body as it dies decompose and wither away, literally explode and then deteriorate until there's nothing but bone. But that's not what death is. Something carries on as the body decomposes, comes apart at the seams. Whatever departed no longer held the body together, but whatever departed is still living, still existing. And, oh, beloved friend, that's second death without Jesus. That is an eternal darkness, an eternal finality, but an eternal suffering that knows no breaks, no ends. Consider Luke 16, what we've referenced already. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Many in here would say that's a description of comfort. Many in here, I don't know if any in here wouldn't, would say that's more than I have. That would be comfortable. We'd probably convince ourselves we'd have no problems if we lived like that. We'd be wrong, but we would convince ourselves of that. And you'd say, Preacher, he fared sumptuously. Uh huh. He fared sumptuously every day in this life. And there was a certain man named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, dogs came and licked his sores. And you might even consider that to be the only relief he had from those sores, for those dogs coming and licking at them. The only approach toward healing he had was a licking of the tongue of the wild dog. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. Listen how that's described. The rich man died, was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. There are those who immediately stop there and say, that's Baptist doctrine. You're right, it is. It's Bible doctrine. There's no pause of purgatory. There's no time that passes there. Okay, the end. It t- and it came to pass. Part is talking about the remainder of their life in this world. It is not talking about a purgatory. The beggar died and was comforted. The rich man died not because he was rich, but because he was not redeemed. He opened up his eyes in hell, and he was in torments. It's written as though he'd been in torments, maybe even before he opened his eyes. And those torments are revealed to already be in progress. This is not like your favorite show getting interrupted by the president. And it comes back and says, now we return you to your originally scheduled program already in progress. And you say, ah, I missed something. He didn't miss enough that he wouldn't make up for it. He's already in torments. And somehow he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. He sees the comfort that Lazarus now has don't know if he saw Lazarus in this life as he was begging for crumbs from his table as he fared sumptuously. But the beggar did not. But now the rich man cries and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I want to give you some descriptives there. In this life, Lazarus was a beggar. And he had sores licked by dogs. Do you think his hands were clean? Now, I'm not talking He ran him under some water. I'm talking COVID clean. Remember three years ago when somebody waited outside the door of the bathroom with a gun to send you back in to wash your hands again? Because if I'm going to drink water off your finger, it ought to be clean, or I'm probably not going to do it. But I don't see this rich man in purple caring too much about the dirtiness or the cleanliness of this beggar's finger anymore. See, those are some of the cares of this life, are they not? He no longer has those cares. He's wrapped up in something bigger now. We don't see him talking about clothing, asking for a cell phone, asking for some distraction like we fill our lives with in 2023. He's asking for a drop of water off the dirty old beggar's finger that it might cool his tongue, even if for a moment. He says, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. That would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five Brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But you see, without Jesus, there's no life. So what the rich man's asking for is some connection back to life, right? Give me some outreach, some social media, some kind of Facebook, some cell phone for which I could reach back out to those that are living. And Abraham says, sorry, rich man. You do not have access to life any longer. I want you to hear me if you're here and you're lost. This is a place where life no longer has access to you and you no longer have access to it. This is a place where there is a great gulf and it's not called purgatory that lies between you and eternal living. You don't have access to the eternal living. You do not have access to those living here. It's over. You now have only opened up your eyes unto torments and eternal damnation, and this is all you will ever know. Listen to what he says. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. They had what you had. Let them hear him. Them and he said, This rich man said, 'Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent.' And he said unto him, 'If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead.' We live in a world, beloved, thankfully, where there is one who rose from the dead. We live in a world with Jesus, it really happened. He really did condescend to a life amongst men where he was 100% man and 100% God. He really did face every temptation that we have faced and prevailed. He really did take on the humiliation of our sin, a mocker's trial, a hung jury. He stood before those for which he should have been their messiah. And even Pilate presented a way in which they could have him. And they chose a filthy man instead. You know, they didn't have to say anything else. They made their decision. But what did they do instead? A chant rose amongst the crowd. Crucify him. Crucify him crucify him crucify him crucify him louder and louder it arose as their convictions that this was what was right and he was what was wrong became more and more sure crucify him crucify him they begin to shout with all the energy and volume that they could muster crucify him what did man desire a world without jesus This world for which I have described this morning is what you desired. Sometimes the Lord lets us have what we want. The Israelites desired a king. They wanted a king like everybody else. And they got one. And you want a life sometimes. I know you do because I do too sometimes. You want a life that doesn't have all these burdens of living holy. All these burdens of always living for Christ Jesus. It's because your old man wants a life without Jesus. You want somebody to blame. You want it to be somebody else's fault. But that cross was our fault. If you're born again, that cross was your fault. You want it to be some chief of sinners. Oh, Paul confesses to be chief of sinners. Good, it was Paul's fault. I'm glad that my name's on it too, but it's Paul's fault cuz he's worse than me. I don't think that's true. It's, it's, sin's getting easier and easier, beloved. You don't get a scapegoat other than Christ Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is what that scapegoat pictured. Don't throw the phrase scapegoat around too too freely. It's biblical. That goat bore the sins of the people. Without that goat, without our Jesus, we would only know misery. We'd know no truth. We'd have no life. We'd have no way. This rich man is still knowing those torments. Maybe he's still pleading. Oh, Father Abraham. Maybe he pleads with every Born again believer who enters into the kingdom. Oh, would you just send that one? Oh, that rich man, he wishes there was a purgatory. He wishes there was some hour for which he could confess his faults and embrace Christ Jesus. The other malefactor that hung on the cross that day, he wishes there was a purgatory for which he could ask that other malefactor, tell me again about Jesus. The one who said you'd be with him in paradise this same day. What was the difference between those two men? What lied in between them? Jesus. One died without him. The other one died with him. It was in paradise that same day. This rich man also has an awareness of his deserving of that torment. He references his brethren. He says, "Oh, they're gonna end up here too. There's nothing stopping them from being here too, unless a dead man rose. Think about his perspective. He's already in hell. He's already in torments, and he seems to have a, a very—I don't—I don't want to say perfect. Maybe it's perfect. I don't know, but a real good understanding that they have to be shown, and that if a dead man rose, they'd know. They'd repent." He knows what they need to hear, and we have heard it. He knows what they need to do. They will repent. Have we done that? God loves repentance, and the devil hates humanity. Don't forget that. Sometimes we overcomplicate all this, but it is that simple. God loves repentance, He clothed Adam and Eve. He brought their attention to what happened there in the garden. Where are you? What have you done? He already knew. And he covered them in Genesis 3. Yes, there was a, chast- a chastening. And yes, there was a falling that impacted all of mankind. But he spoke of the tree of life before the end of that chapter. He immediately, and the way it's written sought counsel with himself for how this could be turned back, for a path in which the sinful could be washed clean. There was only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life. What he tells Thomas there in John 14 was true all the way back to Genesis 3. There's only one way. The reason in our Genesis study that Jacob's sons were wrong and Jacob's been wrong multiple times is because he tries to usurp God. He tries to go about it another way. There's only one way. It will happen for us as well if we depart from him. Notice the rich man asked for momentary relief. He pleaded that someone would be sent to his father's house to give the gospel. Beloved friends, I'm here now. And before you is the gospel. Jesus Christ did those things. He suffered for our sins. He died for our sins. And he arose triumphant when it was finished. I'm presenting you the same gospel this man in hell begged would be taken to his brethren. Christ Jesus is the antithesis to your own sinful nature. He is the answer. He is real. Praise the Lord. You don't have to live a life without Jesus. Without him, you'll never know rest. You'll never know comfort. You'll never know peace. I encourage you to wrestle with this. If you're mad about this message, I encourage you to wrestle with it, to struggle with it, to get into his word. See if it's true. See if this Bible has the ability, the capacity to give you some other truth than what we have just confessed today. Don't put it off. We don't know what a day is. Can you measure a vapor? Can you measure the time that you have left? Are you living your most holy life?